1: Did you ever wonder why some companies are merely good and others are sustainably awesome over a long period of time? Well, to answer that, Andrew Sykes. Andrew, welcome. How are you, man?
2: Fantastic to be on your show.
1: Hey, good. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for being here with us. So, uh, so what what's the secret? Why are some companies awesome and other companies just uh, kind of scratch by? What's uh, from your perspective? What is it?
2: Yeah, you know, there are many people who've. Have- asked this question and they have different theories. But if you look at what's common to all of those theories, we think it is this, that the habits of your employees define how you set strategy, how innovative you are, how you execute, how well you sell, how you serve customers. So our view is that habits are the fundamental unit of corporate competitive advantage and explain the difference between the merely good and the sustainably awesome.
1: Huh. You know, it's an interesting perspective because, uh, you know, most of the people I talk to, that, that would uh, not be the first thing that would come to their mind. So talk about habits first. What, what is a habit when it comes to employees?
2: Yeah. One of the reasons we, we miss the importance of habits is because on their own, they're, they're quite small. As an example, a habit of a highly effective salesperson might be sending handwritten thank you notes after a sales call or the habit of asking about budget in the first meeting instead of six or seven meetings in. And so it's these tiny little acts that on their own seem to be invisible, but it's like compound interest. They stack on each other. And over time, they make all the difference to the outcome of each person in their role and the company as a whole.
1: You know, uh, so when I first heard the word habits, I kind of had a I know. Ha- habits are kind of mundane, but what you're really talking about are behaviors. They're, they're actions. They're things that we do. Um, and and so a habit is almost like a reflex. Uh, in, in writing or maybe writing a thank you note is a reflex. And, you know, I've never really thought about that, but maybe maybe some really good things we do really are kind of reflexes.
2: Yeah. And, you know, habits can be good or bad. So part of the problem in business is employees have many ruts and routines and bad habits that get in the way and suck their time away from being productive. Whether that's waking up late or gossiping at the water cooler or answering irrelevant meme- emails, it all takes away from the opportunity to be fantastic. So we've got to address both the good and bad habits. And as you say, habits are nothing more or less than behaviors repeated over time. Okay. But the mindset of habits is that if you think about your job, mostly we have a fairly similar day each day. And so, if we could spend our time on the top 5 or 10% most important things and less time on the bottom, things that occupy our time but don't move the ball forward, you can imagine how across a company that extrapolates to enormous success over time.
1: You know, one of the things that I, I like to say is that um, businesses are machines that generate money. So, you know, the business, you have one group of people doing accounting, one pe- group of people doing selling, another group of people that are uh, doing production, another group, all the different groups are doing different things and the machine is working and every single day the machine is doing the same thing, give or take, and money's coming out the back end. That's just kind I, of how I, how I think about things. And so when you talk about people, uh, you know, and these these repetitive behaviors that you call habits, which, which really, I kind of get it as, as, you, as you're talking, I'm, I'm understanding what you're thinking. Uh, it really makes a lot of sense that by doing the same good things, if they're good things, if, if they're not good things, obviously uh, you need to change. But if they're good things, I could really see how doing them over and over. It's kind of that machinery effect that produces a good outcome in the long run.
2: I agree. And I think the machinery analogy is both useful and in some senses limiting. It's useful in the sense that machines are a model of habits. They do the same thing over and over again, reliably what we ask humans to do in a business is to do the same thing over and over again with increasing fidelity or quality. So there's a slightly different analogy, which I would use and that's of the learning machine. Mm. So for example, if you're a salesperson or if you're in customer service, you may have the habit of greeting customers in a certain way, but you're expected to learn. And over time, as your demographic changes or your customers' expectations change, you need to evolve and grow that habit so it keeps pace or preferably outpaces the competition
1: that's yeah. the learning machine that's a very cool uh, that's a very cool way to think about this. so listen, so shift gears for a second, shift gears to the machine by the the learning machine by the way um, what's your background where this where'd all this come from? Well, my
2: educational background is as an actuary get out of here get out of here. <laughs> Yep. you I know. Studied. Listen,
1: you know, you know, I'm a CPA by my training, and you're an actuary. And the joke in the CPA world has always was that actuaries are guys that couldn't, uh, that didn't have the personality to be CPAs. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think that's often fair. Uh,
1: you know, I, I mean, listen, start.
2: I didn't fit. I didn't fit in that business, and it sounds looks to me like you probably didn't fit out and fit in yours. You know, when I was 21, my first client, the largest business in the country I was in at that time, hired us for the sole purpose of explaining to them what their actuaries were telling them. And I, I realized at that point, it doesn't matter what you know or how smart you think you are. What matters is how well you can communicate and whether or not you can understand how people think and feel and ultimately act. And in a sense, that's the same as the science of habits. How do you design your business to leave people feeling inspired and connected but also acting in the service of your customer and your company.
1: So how'd you, how'd you make the transition? I mean, I, I kind of get where this is going. How did you make the transition from actuary, which, which took some amount of training and then you became an actuary translator. You you were translating other actuaries into uh, English that business people could understand. And then, uh, then you, you moved on to something else and now you're uh, counseling companies on how to get people to perform at a, at a high level. How, how did that happen?
2: Yes, I started as an actuary in the health business. And after about a decade, I started to ask this question, is selling health insurance people making a difference to their health? And came to the conclusion, it makes no difference. And so I got curious about what it would actually take to make people healthy. And the more I looked at it, the more I realized we are and we become the people that are a function of our habits. You know, there's that old saying, you are what you eat. Mm -hmm. I think you say that our health is very much in our hands based on our lifestyle, which is really just some of the health habits we have or don't have. And once we had cracked the code of healthy habits, we realized habits are the essence of performance in all domains of life and work. And so now we specialize in the habits of high-performance salespeople, of customer and account managers, of managers themselves, and of high-performance teams. And no matter where you look, it all boils down to good or bad habits brought to life in a company. So do you do you work
1: with companies to help these people change their habits for the better and, and improve? Or, or what, what is your role in working with these guys?
2: Yes, the first role is helping people identify which habits will make a difference or not. And often we're not really conscious of our habits because we've had them for so long, we don't even notice them. And there's a design job in there, which is you know, if we're working with a sales team, We want to identify the top five or six habits that will make the difference between mediocre performance and five or ten times the sales results, either faster, bigger sales, asking for more budget, whatever it is in the business that will really make a difference. And having designed the habits, we then ask the question, why are people confronted or blocked from this habit? Why are they distracted or what's distracting them? In what ways are they lacking motivation or are they lacking confidence and competence? And when we have the answers to those questions, we help companies design their business to make those habits easy and natural. It's a little bit like your analogy of the machine. We design the machinery of business inside of which it's like falling off a log for employees to be high performance actors practicing these habits that get great business results. So, so
1: are, are there some habits that are just common across all companies that are very good companies? I mean, I mean, some of them are probably job specific, but are there certain ones that are, you get to a certain level, you're a, a high level middle, middle manager, or you become a senior executive or even a C-suite executive. What are the
2: habits at certain levels that, that really make a big difference for people? Yeah, that's such a great insight because, of course, as you say, salespeople should have very different habits that are unique to their job versus accountants or actuaries. But you've asked the question, are there habits that are common across everyone? And our answer is yes. And they are the habits that prepare us to perform any job. And it's interesting that those are the habits that leave people healthy, happy, and financially secure. Why? because those are generally the things that distract people at work or have them be absent or show up less than fully energetic or leave them disengaged with the company. So it really reframes the importance of employee engagement as HR, not as a way to support employees who are battling, but as a way to prepare them to perform in whatever their role is. Because if you've got a salesperson with phenomenal sales skills, but they're at home four or five days a month because they're struggling with their health. Well, they're not going to make many sales. So you're saying that the things
1: that might make people the most successful at their job have maybe nothing to do with their job, per as se.
2: A, as a foundation, yes. Huh. Of course, you can be healthy and happy and secure and useless at your job. Well, so, that's. Uh, but I'm,
1: so you're t- we're talking about high performance, high capability people. Yes. And, and so, for you know, for, I mean, listen, there are buckets of people that aren't going to make it. We're not talking about those people. Those people, we're, we're not investing in this conversation in those people. Um, So making people happy, healthy and uh, financially secure, uh, it really uh, kind of goes to life balance. I've always kind of, uh, you know, shrugged my shoulders at that. but But you're kind of making a very rational argument, which is because, of course, you're an actuary. Of course, you make a rational argument. Uh, which, by the way, is what I do. I mean, my arguments are rational too as a, as, as a person who's trained in finance. So uh, what you're saying is really that there are very, very good reasons that companies really need to take an interest in the bigger uh, the bigger picture of who the person is and not just what it is that they're doing for the eight hours that, uh, that they're on the job. Is that what you're saying?
2: Yeah, an interest in their life success. And, and I don't really support this idea of work-life balance because I think that model of thinking says to employees, you need to come to work, and when work is over, go and attend to the things that you care about, being healthy, happy, and secure. And the truth is, we all are very happy to sacrifice ourselves at the altar of our company and customers. So, if you're really serious as a business about having a difficult-to-copy competitive advantage, I think you need to disappear this idea that employees need support outside of work and build healthy habits into the fabric of your business. It's a little bit like um, a sports team. You don't expect a sports team to perform without them being in practice and being well-trained. And I see it the same way with corporate athletes. If you don't put in the training and the time and effort to have you show up in the best shape of your life for work on a Monday morning, and I mean that across the spectrum of health, happiness, and security, how can we expect people to be great leaders, managers, and salespeople?
1: Yeah, this is a pretty this is this is kind of different than a lot of other stuff that I discussed, but I kind of get what you're saying So, uh, one one of the other things that i'm hearing, you know, I talk a lot about being disruption proof And i'm kind of hearing some things here Where companies could become more disruption proof From uh, either either outside attack from uh, changes in innovation if their people are uh, happier healthier Better put together financially more secure uh, because they can be more focused on solutions instead of the things that distract them. Is that is that kind of on the target?
2: I think that's a very on-target comment. And there's another aspect to it, which is if the world continues to change as quickly as it has been, and I think we can only expect the rate of change to accelerate. Yes. What's also true is the skills and habits that we have today are probably not a match for what companies and businesses need tomorrow right that's true a competitive advantage lies with those companies that can reskill their workforce very quickly so in the language of habits what that means is future proofing or disrupt disruption proofing your business means getting good at the art of creating new habits in employees so as the world changes and you see my sales team used to act this way i now need them to act that way in three weeks flat how do I create that habit in record time?
1: Wow. So uh, can you can you give us a couple of tips? I mean, are there some things that, that companies can do to make that happen?
2: I think the biggest insight of all is that we think that the problem lies with our employees. So we look at them and say, they're not performing in the way I need. They're either unmotivated or they're unskilled or they're lazy or they need more education. And the big insight we've had is human beings respond to the environments in which they find themselves. Yeah. The opportunity is to design your built environment, the systems of your company, the culture, which is, if you think about it, nothing more or less than the habits of your people anyway, and employees mindsets so that the right habits just occur as natural, exciting, fun, and easy to do. Wow. That's a business design problem. It's just a new lens on
1: is okay. that, is that in the, is that in the realm of culture? Like when you're developing the culture of the company, where, where does that come from? I mean, you know, the, the culture comes from uh, the, the senior executives, the visionaries in the company, they kind of determine the kind of company it's going to be. How do you overlay what you're talking about onto an existing culture or structure at a company?
2: Well, here's our view on culture. If you, if you've ever walked into a business and I'm sure you've walked into many within five minutes, you can sense the culture. Yeah. So what exactly are you sensing? It must be something you see or you hear. And our view is culture is nothing more or less than the speaking and acting habits of employees. So culture change. Col- collect, the collective active ac- actions of the employees. Yeah. Culture equals some of the habits
1: of your employees. Yeah. Listen, I've been in thousands of companies in my career, uh, both as a, as a vendor, as a guest, as a consultant. Uh, you know, I've owned an, a, a lot of companies so so I really I get this and some companies uh, the people are terrified they they sit quietly at their desk, others are gregarious, they're happy, they're laughing, they're having fun I mean it, it goes it's the whole spectrum. so uh, senior management, uh, you know the CEO, whoever that person is, installs that culture and makes it okay for people to enjoy their day and get some work done I, I personally think, Uh, I'm big on bonding, I'm big on socializing together because I think that people who have fun, uh, you know, are more dedicated to the team. That's me. I mean, that's what I think. And that's just my uh, experience of life that, you know, in places where I've been, where uh, companies are shut down and and the people are are shut down. I don't think those are the most productive people. I don't think those are people leap out of bed in the morning and want to rush to work to do their best. I think they go there because they need the money and you know that's just how it is and that's they get they get 60% productivity and the other companies got 110
2: yeah and when you look from the outside you can't really see it and that's why I think it's such a great competitive advantage and a protection against disruption and you know there's a few words that I would want to choose carefully a lot of leaders say it's our job to dictate the culture and I think it's a leader's job to design the culture
1: yeah And, you know, sometimes uh, semantics makes a big difference because it's um, culture. Isn't just, you don't just write a document and circulate it in a memo. Uh, It's, it's actions. People respond to the actions of other people, especially the leaders. And, and so there is design, but there's also execution and the execution is just, you have to live the word that you say that you're going to live. And, and if, if you say we're going to be an enjoyable, get along together, you know, Happy group of people, uh, you need to do things, and it has more to do with providing a, than than giving a vending machine with free soda in the lunchroom. I mean, it th- there's more to it. So, so when you talk about, let's go back to habits because uh, we only have a few more minutes. So, when 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 you talk about habits and you talk about changing habits, what are things that you do because habits are hard to break. I mean, w- when I think of uh, bad habits, you know, the kids or or adults that have bad habits are very hard to break. So how do you, how do you start a, a good new habit
2: or how do you break an old habit? It's true that the human condition is we find changing habits hard. And so the first thing I'd say is there isn't a silver bullet to creating new habits, but there is a methodology. And it generally starts with giving people a higher purpose for why they should care. And in most companies, we go to what's in it for you instead of asking what's in it for our customers and what's in it for your family or the people you care about. And we've noticed people rise to the occasion when they have a higher purpose. The second is giving people a pathway for action. So small, clear steps that allow them to build confidence and competence in whatever habit you want them to create. And we're very big fans of this idea of deliberate practice, which is having employees act and get great feedback rather than an annual performance review, an hour by hour or a day by day feedback from managers. And then the role of managers really is to clear the path, to remove barriers and temptations from employees practicing these well-designed habits.
1: You know, I have to say that uh, although I would language things uh, very differently than the way you are, uh, not better or worse, just different, uh, my worldview uh, lines up very closely with yours, very closely. Uh, You know, the way that I think about it is that, uh, and this is not only inside the company, this is also outside uh, when I sell and I, I love to sell and I love to work with other people to help them sell that You know part of it is that you have to create You know, there's people talk about mission the mission of the company and they may even talk about vision My vision for the company is you know, whatever we're gonna become but really I think the highest level is cause What's the cause of this? You know, what what's the reason how are we gonna make the world a better place by doing whatever it is that we're doing? How are we gonna affect some change because people really do want to work to to a high level and when they're working to a high level, they do, they do produce their best. So, so you're saying that's the environment that causes them to change habits and to uh, that it opens their mind to being different, better, or otherwise. So uh, I, I, think it's a, I think it's very smooth what you're saying. And I, I, It resonates for me as being accurate.
2: Great. Right. And, you know, it may not be this higher purpose every time. It could just be the purpose of this particular habit is that you will impress this customer today, and that's enough. As long as it's contextualized in, that's the way we're going to run an awesome hotel or retail operation. So it needs to ladder up these layers of purpose that inspire people into the right actions.
1: Yeah, well, it's really um, it's really pretty fascinating. And so, want you want you to share if somebody wants to get a hold of you, uh, you know, what can you help them with, and how do they get a hold of you?
2: They can get a hold of me through email. My email is Andrew at habits dot com. I'm happy to share my telephone number too, which is 312-890-3323. I'm in Chicago. And what we can help them with is designing and bringing to life the habits of high-performance salespeople, customer service or account managers, managers of teams, and the teams themselves.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, it sounds like you know an awful lot about what you're talking about. So thank you very much for sharing that with us here this morning. And we'll look forward to following up. I hope we can be back in touch. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Strategies to give your business the inside track. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com.
0: Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.